This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including Latin 101, Learning a Classic Language. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us in the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, I know you've got a lot to say because I've been using Hillary Clinton's secret email server to read your email surreptitiously. And man, you've got some great points. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate that. I wish Hillary, you know, that's the NSA. You're confusing your scandals here, Michael. Uh, actually, an acquaintance of mine uh, uh, lives up in Westchester County, and he has a sign in his yard because he lives down the street from the Clintons, and it says, for sale, one hard drive, completely clean, and it gives her street address. So I thought that was very funny. The New York Daily News had it. It's more convenient for her, Michael. <laughs> don't you understand? You know, it's much better to not do what every other government employee does, what every other uh, cabinet secretary does, what uh, her successor, Secretary John Kerry, does, and just follow the normal rules to get your State Department account, have your private account, try to keep them separate as much as you can. Of course, there'll always be a little bit of fuzziness, but that's what normal people do. You know, that's what, not what... That's not what Hillary Clinton does. She's 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 unique. She's special. She and her and her top aides have their own little email server and and, and domain, so they can keep everything to themselves, shielded from the press, shielded from the public. And incidentally, I think this part hasn't been noticed enough. Shielded from others in the State Department and the Obama administration. I think part of what's going on here is Hillary Clinton doesn't want to be in a position where some request comes into the General Counsel or the White House. And they say, hey, we've got to take a look at your emails here, do a word search uh, to see what, you know, if you had something that we have to provide to Congress or to the press. She wanted to be out of the whole system. It really is shocking, actually. And the idea that she would deliver the culled, edited, redacted 55,000 pages on hard copy. I mean, who uses hard copy for anything anymore? And she, her, her aides show up with these boxes of print. Someone's standing at a printer somewhere, Bill, going, I mean, they had to feel like total idiots doing that in the first place. Well, think about going through and deleting 32,000 emails. I mean, think if you got, God forbid, in some legal case or something, right. and, you know, they said, oh, we're going to need to search your stuff. You'd say, hey, there's a ton of private stuff in there, but um, I'll give it to my lawyer, or we'll mutually agree on a lawyer or someone from the you know, relevant agency, in this case it would be the State Department, and they'll go through and they'll take out the stuff that you know, isn't relevant. You don't do it yourself? Who's ever heard of such a thing? You know what I mean? It's like, so you're in some lawsuit, and you say, well, I'll give you the stuff I think is relevant, but the other stuff, trust me, trust me, it's private. But you know what? The Clintons have, have built up such a reservoir of trust over the decades that we just can be confident that there's nothing inappropriate in those emails that she deleted. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that you uh, talk about relevance because the number one argument that I've heard Hillary Clinton defenders make is that this is all irrelevant because they're the Clintons and people just don't care. Uh, they, they've, they've basically already factored in the corruption price and they still like the Clintons and it'll they'll and therefore Hillary will pay no political price for this. Do you agree with that analysis? 
I don't, but I'm a little spooked by the fact that you know polls continue to show her strong, and there are all these people on the record defending her. And New York Times has a big piece this morning saying, "Oh no, she's most Democrats think she's the only one." I I just don't buy it. It reminds me a little of Ted Kennedy uh, 30 years ago uh, when he ran in 1980 and was planning to run. Uh, he was going to beat Jimmy Carter. The Democrats didn't care about Chappaquiddick, and, and, and that's why they recruited him to run and urged him to run. Everyone forgets how much that, you know, he was a kind of consensus candidate of the left. And then it turned out that <coughs> excuse me, it turned out that voters did care a little more, maybe, than people thought. And even though he was undoubtedly closer to the base of the Democratic Party than Jimmy Carter, he couldn't beat him in the primary. I, I really think Hillary Clinton is vulnerable. And uh, you see it. Some smart people are seeing it. In the New York Times piece today, the very end, Deval Patrick, the two-term governor of Massachusetts, very close to David Axelrod. Axelrod was the chief strategist for Patrick as well as for Obama. Uh, suddenly says, you know, it would be bad if she didn't have any competition. Someone's got to get in there and run against her. And, and uh, I wonder what Elizabeth Warren's thinking. Uh, Martin O'Malley is, you know, the governor of Maryland, two-term governor. People, for some reason, mock him a little bit, but he's a pretty good politician. I just think any of these people could take a real serious run at her. I think maybe a woman's a little stronger, so Elizabeth Warren might be the best, but I don't rule out Patrick or O'Malley or others. And one last point, you've been in campaigns. These polls that show you know, Hillary Clinton's got 56% support among Democrats and the next person's at 12. That doesn't mean anything. The relevant number is the 56. That, means, that tells me that 44% of Democrats don't want her to be the nominee. I think the huge majority of that 44% go right to whoever runs against her. Right. So I think what we're looking at really is a Democratic primary that probably starts out, I don't know what, Hillary at 60 and the opponent at 35. It's not going to start out, it doesn't really start out 60 to 10. And uh, when you're the only person on the ballot, and let's face it, Bill, in the, eye, in the minds of most people who'd be polled, even Democrats, there really is only one person on the ballot. To say 56% for the only person on the ballot is not that strong of a number. And I love it when they compare that to, well, look at the Republicans. Yeah, because the Republicans have at least five, if not ten, viable candidates, and it splits up the numbers. I want to get back to another Republican-Democrat thing. Uh, a couple days ago, the conventional wisdom was, oh, my gosh, this letter that the Republicans sent to Iran, horrifying, this open letter is just devastating. They're traitors. 47 traitors is the hashtag that's trending. Now, uh, Secretary of State Kerry has acknowledged that the premise of the letter, which is what we're working on, isn't legally binding and can be dumped any time because Congress has no buy-in, turns out to be true. From a uh, policy standpoint and from a political standpoint, who's winning and losing today? I think Tom Cotton and the Republicans are winning, though they're, you know, there's been a huge counterattack. The left is totally nuts, and I've got to say, and the degree of McCarthyism they just routinely engage in now, you know, the 47 traders hashtag, the kind of level of vituperation against Cotton and the others, for an open letter, an open letter. In the past, Democratic senators have had private and secret meetings with representatives of foreign dictators to try to, you know, assure them, even negotiate with them in some cases, against the Reagan administration, against the Bush administration. This is an open letter to Iran restating the facts of the American constitutional system. And that is somehow to be terribly, terribly dangerous. It's deplorable. It's horrible. It's really pathetic, the attack. And I think on policy, in terms of the Iran deal, Cotton is forced to debate. There are a few conservative hand-wringers and brow furrowers who are, oh, I don't really like this, and I wish we could do a little more, you know, it's a little bit unusual to go write a letter directly to the Ayatollahs. But you know what? If he hadn't done this, we wouldn't be having this debate. The people who say this is a distraction from the debate, where was the debate before this, quote, distraction? He has forced attention. He and his colleagues have forced attention 
onto the Iran deal. I don't think the administration is doing a good job of defending it. Is it binding? Is it not binding? How can you have a binding deal that Congress doesn't ratify? Why isn't it binding? Why are they? Why, why won't they submit it to Congress? Incidentally, you know, I mean, are they terrified of what will Congress will discover if they have actual hearings and if they have to defend this deal before Congress? They're terrified of an actual vote. Um, so I think it's really forced a very useful debate. I think Tom Cotton is winning that debate. There's some nervous Nellies on the Republican side, as always, but, I, but not too many, actually, because I think this is an important substantive issue. It reminds me of Netanyahu's speech to Congress, and it reminds me, I was thinking of writing an editorial on this, uh, of Trey Gowdy, actually, and the Benghazi Committee. Gowdy, Netanyahu, and Cotton, all three, even in polite Republican and conservative circles, a little bit of, ugh, the Benghazi Committee, that's, that's just, we've got to stay away from that. Netanyahu's speech, hopefully controversial, kind of violated protocol. Cotton's letter, yeah, not quite the way we sometimes would prefer to do business. In every case, the sort of polite conservatives and Republicans have been a little nervous about it. And in each of those cases, they have generated the crucial debates and produced the crucial information. The Hillary emails, where did they come from? The Benghazi Committee. Not from the media, not from the goodwill of Hillary Clinton. And Netanyahu's speech uh, and Cotton's letter also have forced a necessary debate on the, one of the most fundamental foreign policy choices ahead, one that all, frankly, all the editorials in the world and earnest policy papers didn't really succeed in forcing. So I'm, I'm a big defender of the Cotton letter. I think as long as Republicans and conservatives keep their nerve, it's going to be a huge moment where the Republican Party is on the right side in terms of policy and politics of this fundamental foreign policy divide. And that's the last question I have for you is I don't understand the political argument that this is bad for Republicans because all the polling I've seen uh, shows that the majority of the American people don't trust Iran. They know Iran are the bad guys and they don't want a deal. And you can argue, well, you know, that foreign policy, it's a little more nuanced than that. The average guy, you know, going to work every day doesn't follow this. And I agree to that with that to some extent. But from the 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 core of America is Iran equals terrorism equals dead Americans. And this is just an easy layup for Republicans. Why wouldn't they stay? Forget being polite. Why wouldn't you stay all over this? Yeah, and just to, to one more point on that, I mean, Ayatollah Khamenei weighed in this morning or last night, apparently. He also doesn't like what Cotton has done. Very bad. This is a bad sign of political ethics in America, that senators are writing an open letter uh, telling the Iranians how the American constitutional system works. So uh, I think you're right. If Khamenei's on the side of the Democrats uh, and, and the Republicans are on the side of stopping Iran from getting nuclear weapons, you'd think that would be a good debate for Republicans. But as you have and I have said many, many times, uh, Republicans are very good at missing layups and not seeing that a layup is a layup and getting very nervous when they're about to take the layup. And I think in this case, luckily, Cotton and his colleagues are tough, and there are enough people out there who see that he's right on both policy and politics that the normal Republican nervousness will be overcome. I'm sorry, I was distracted. I was scanning your emails before you see them, and apparently a Nigerian banker has a lot of money for you, Bill, so I'll let you get back to that. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.